it was supposed to be a vacation. I'd lost my job and hadn't been able to find another. My wife, Becca, was the sole breadwinner in our household, and she didn't let me forget it for one second. Still, this is a chance to escape our troubles, at least for a few days. It was a chance to get away and sort things out. Of course, we were piled into Clark's brand new huge SUV, along with his wife, Sandra, headed for God knows what. Clark was my best and oldest friend from eighth grade. He'd been my constant companion for all these years, the one human being who knew me and all of my secrets, both good and bad. Clark had the keys to the cabin in the mountains owned by Nick, his boss, my former boss, near a stream where, he said, one could experience the best trout fishing in the state. It was a long drive to our destination, six hours, and we had to park next to the road, which was still a couple of miles from the front door. We then had to unload our baggage and carry or drag it up a path through the woods. It was not going to be an easy start to our serene tranquility. The road wound through some hilly country with mountains towering on the horizon. The cabin was old, Clark had told us, saying that Nick had inherited it from his father who had in turn inherited it from his father. Clark and Sandra had spent quite a lot of time there over the years. When we did finally arrive, it was easy to tell nobody had used the cabin in a very long time. Opening the door kicked up a cloud of dust and a squirrel on the roof started scolding us for invading his property. The air inside was stale and there were cobwebs everywhere. We estimated it'd take three trips altogether to get our baggage from the car, but after that we could relax and begin our vacation. We were in the middle of our second trip back, all of us carrying bags, fly rods, or backpacks when disaster struck. Clark was in front, I was behind him. Becca followed me with Sandra bringing up the rear. We were at a point where the forest encroached on the path with trees and brush so thick we couldn't see anything off to either side. It was only a couple more hours until sunset. Cicadas sang in the trees and the heat was beginning to wear on us. Why is it so bloody hot? Becca asked. You can't take a little heat? It's good for you, I said in a not-so-nice tone. This is a vacation, Becca replied. I don't go on a vacation to be miserable, Bruce. I go on a vacation to have a good time. I go on a vacation to relax. I don't go to hike 800 miles uphill to some tiny little cavern with a portable potty and no shower just so you can not catch fish for a couple of days. Becca, I started, but she ignored me. It's a good thing we brought some beans with us. We won't be counting on you to bring dinner home. You're just not that good at bringing home the bacon, Bruce. We all know that. Of course, maybe bringing the beans along wasn't the best solution since there's only one bathroom. Damn it, Becca, what do you want from me? I asked. What could I possibly do to... Sandra screamed. It was a quick noise that sounded like it was cut off. I spun around and saw the bushes close to where she'd been moving violently. Then they stopped. I thought I could hear something rustling in the brush, rapidly growing fainter. We all stood there for several seconds, unable to figure out what to do. 
I heard her scream again, already some distance away. It was an awful sound, full of despair and terror. I'd never heard anything like that before. Sandy, Clark shouted, running back past us, getting to the point on the path where she'd been. He pointed at the ground, looking at us, shock on his face. There's blood here. Sandy, he ran into the bush, following her path. Becca turned to me. What do we do? Do we help him? Let's get to the cabin, I said. It's almost dark, and maybe we can find some flashlights or something to help us search. As we trudged onward, my mind wandered back on how my demise had begun. I was in my tiny office during a routine day. Nothing special going on when it started. There was a knock on my door as I sat at my desk doing research for one of our clients online. Clark came in, followed by Nick. Nick closed the door quietly. Uh, Bruce, we need to talk, Nick said. He seemed nervous as he and Clark sat down in the cheap chairs I had been given to use for visitors. Clark wouldn't look at me. What's up, I asked, trying to sound cheerful, knowing, though, that on this most routine of days, I was about to get some really bad news. It's about the BAK account, Nick said. What about it? Their new rep rocking the boat, I asked. Clark shifted in his seat, looking at me finally, a solemn expression on his face. He called me, Bruce. He wants to work with me from now on. What? BAK was our biggest account. According to Nick, it was our only account. The bowing and scraping that went on in our office when their rep visited was a bit of an embarrassment, I thought. He wants to deal with Clark, Nick said. It's what he prefers. So you're taking the account away from me, I said. It wasn't a question. Yes, Nick said, and as I stared back at him, he simply shrugged. I don't know why, Clark chimed in. I'm so sorry. I haven't even talked to them, so I don't know why they want to make a switch. I especially don't know why they are insisting on dealing with me. I need you to forward anything you have on the account that isn't on the network servers to Clark ASAP, Bruce, Nick said. He needs to be brought up to speed. I want you to know this is no reflection on your work. It's always top notch. This is just what the client wants. If it were any other client, they would have been told to stick it with the account executive who had been signed to them. Anybody else would have been told to shove it. Not BAK, though. No way. What they want, they get. Nick got out of the chair and looked in my direction. You still got the Impractor account along with Zipman Glover. That'll keep you busy. I'll be in my office. Nick left, closing the door quickly but quietly behind him. I looked at Clark, who was leaning back in his chair. I know this is a blow to you, Bruce, he said. Look, Nick's going to be in his office, and quitting time is an hour anyway. Why don't you head down to Kelly's, and I'll join you there in a little while. A drink, or three, or five, sounded good to me then. I got up, a bit weak in the knees. Sure, I said. I'll see you there. Sure thing, buddy, Clark responded, walking with me across the floor outside my office through the maze of desks of junior executives, interns, and assistants to, to the elevators. 
I pushed a button and turned, seeing everyone at a desk looking at me. I wondered if they all knew somehow. I felt like it was written on my face. The elevator doors opened and I stepped in, turning back to see Clark standing there staring at me, a faint smile on his face, and I suddenly remembered that in my shock at getting the bad news, I'd forgotten to log off of my computer. Clark, could you log me off, I asked. Sure thing, he said, as the door started closing. See you in a bit. After a short debate about possibly returning back to the car or continuing on to the cabin, the cabin held its luster since it was closer. We wanted to get out of the open as quickly as possible. We made it just as the sun seemed to disappear behind the mountains. It went from weak daylight to pitch black in minutes. We hadn't brought the fuel for the generator yet, so our only ability to see came from our flashlights. I opened the baggage we already had, but only found some food and water. Why did we come here? Becca asked me over and over again when we dug through the luggage, looking for I don't know what. We don't even like fishing. Oh, would you please just shut the hell up, I said when the door opened, causing us both to jump. It was Clark. His expression was blank as he came into the cabin and sat on a bunk, seeming not to see us for several moments. He was bloody, sweaty, and scratched, probably by branches from the bushes he'd gone through. He was filthy. Did you find her? Becca asked. He looked at her, his eyes finally focusing. Yes, he said, and it sounded like his voice came from a great distance away. A hollow tree. She was at the base of a big old hollow tree. It had her arm up inside of it. I could hear it chewing. She looked at me, Bruce. She looked at me. Her mouth was moving, but she couldn't even scream. It was eating her alive. It was shh, Becca said, but Clark went on. It pulled her into the tree a little further. I could hear it. I could hear that thing eating my wife, Bruce. Her bones. She looked at me. She tried to say something, but she was in so much pain. He let out a sob and stared at his trembling hands. Do you know what it is? I asked. I didn't see it. It's inside the tree. I can find that tree again, though. Clark started looking around the room, finally seeing a bag he brought that we hadn't opened yet. He got up, went over to it, opened it, and ripped through the clothes inside until he found what he was looking for. It was a revolver, a thirty-eight, I'd guess, nickel-plated. You didn't say you were bringing a gun, Becca gasped. I wanted to hit her. All kinds of bastards hide out in these woods, I said instead. Clark looked at me for a moment before running out of the door, slamming it behind him. Clark, Becca shouted after him. At that point, I did hit her. I couldn't help it. She needed it, though. My knuckles stung, and Becca had blood in her mouth, but she shut up, looking at me, shock in her eyes. Now be quiet and sit down, I said. I got up and dropped the bar across the door. You're locking Clark out there, she whispered to me. Better him out there with that whatever than having that thing able to just walk in the door, I hissed back at her. And if we stay here and stay quiet, maybe it won't find us. Do you understand? There must have been something in my tone because she nodded. I got up and started going through the drawers and closets as quietly as I could, seeing what else was there, figuring there was nothing else useful in the baggage. 
I found a shotgun in the back of a closet, an ancient single shot, and when I broke it open there was one solitary cartridge in it. It was coated with dust and the powder was probably stale, but it was better than nothing. This sucker was huge though, probably a 10 gauge. One shot from this thing would take out a grizzly, I figured. I thought of Clark out there with his little 38 and me in here with my big old shotgun. I sadistically found that a little humorous. Yeah, I snickered about that for several minutes. It was my 21st birthday when I first met Becca. I was a junior in college. I came back to the apartment I shared with Clark to find it decorated for a surprise party. It was all Clark's idea. Like a lot of parties on a college campus, we had a lot of gate crashers. Becca was one of them. She had come with some friends of hers. We all got drunk and loud and a party broke up around 2 a.m. when the cops shut us down. Clark took Sandra and went into his room, leaving me to fend for myself. Becca had told the cops she lived there because her ride had bailed on her. I offered to take her home. She lived on the other side of town. But she saw how drunk I was and declined. She really had no choice but to crash at my place. I didn't mind, even though we were both too drunk to do much fooling around that night. Instead, we lay on some blankets on some dingy old carpet and talked. That guy, Clark, she said, he lives here with you? Sure, I said, we've known each other for years. Is that his girlfriend he's, he's with? Yeah, she used to be my girlfriend, but she dunked me for him. Jesus, Bruce, you let him get away with that? Why do I care? He's my best friend. I was just looking to get into her pants. He's more serious. Serious? Really? You think they get married or something? I think it's possible, I said. She sighed. Damn, he's good looking. And he's charming. So? What does that have to do with anything at all, I asked. Instead, she just looked at me a moment before turning over on her side or back to me and going to sleep. I did likewise and forgot all about her until the next morning when her vomiting in the bathroom woke me. That was when I felt sober enough to take her home. We'd been together ever since. What an inspired beginning to our wonderful relationship. We should save the flashlights, I whispered. Becca was shining her light around the cabin, looking for who knows what. I don't like sitting in the dark, she hissed back at me. We're on top of a hill, I said. The light would probably show for miles around. It'll give Clark something to see, she said. He's still alive. I just know it. Maybe, maybe not, I said, but I think that thing out there can also find us. Do you understand? Bruce, Clark just lost his wife. He's going to need us. He's going to need someone to comfort him, to help him get over. Jesus, please just shut the hell up, I whispered back at her. Clark will be fine. You just need to keep your mouth closed and turn off that light. Do you understand? Fine, she said, and I heard her click off the light. It quickly got so dark we could barely make out each other's silhouettes. Now what, she asked. We sit here, quietly, and wait until dawn. Oh God, Bruce, are you crazy? You have any other suggestions? She didn't say anything, which was answer enough.
I sat at the bar in Kelly's for hours the night I managed to get myself kicked off the BAK account. Clark never showed. I did manage to get really drunk, though. The barkeep took my keys, and I took a cab home. I was braced for a tongue lashing from Becca, but instead she was sitting on the couch reading a magazine. The TV set showed the local news. She looked up when I came in, accepted a kiss, and went back to reading while I went to change. There was something odd in the bathroom, I thought, but in my alcohol-dulled senses, it took me a while to figure it out. The toilet seat was up. I went back into the living room, anger beginning to boil up inside me. Who was here, I demanded. Becca looked at me, alarm on, his face for, on her face for a moment. Why do you think anyone was here? Because unless you haven't taken a piss in the four hours since you've been home, a man has used the toilet, I said. Uh, it was the cable guy, she said, after a couple of moments. It was out when I got home. I called, and he had a guy in the neighborhood, so he came right over. He asked to use the bathroom while he was here. It only took him a few minutes to fix whatever it was. He just left right before you got home. I see, I said, settling on the couch next to her, picking up the TV remote, and flipping through the channels, deciding to let the manor drop for the moment. I was watching that, she said. No, you weren't. You were reading. I'm sure there's a game on here somewhere. You've been drinking. No, I haven't. I'm just tired, I responded. It was almost word for word the conversation we'd had for the past few years every night. She got up and went into the bedroom taking her magazine. I knew she'd be reading until she fell asleep. Instead of moving to the bed this one night, I dozed off on the couch and stayed there until morning. When Becca woke, she said nothing, not even waking me as she got herself ready for work. I waited for her to leave before beginning my own morning, making sure the toilet seat was down when I left the house. It had been dark a couple of hours. Becca and I both settled onto the floor, backs against the wall as far away as we could from the door and the windows. The shotgun lay across my lap. Suddenly I heard six rapid pops. It was probably Clark's gun going off, then silence. Do you suppose he killed it? Becca whispered to me. He'd try to come back if he did, I whispered. It's dark out there and he's probably lost in the woods, she said. Maybe we should call for him or something. Maybe that's why he's not. Why do you care so intently anyway, I asked. What's this man to you? Bruce, he's in danger out there, she whispered. He's your best friend. Aren't you worried about him even a little bit? Sure, I said. Why are you worried about him, Becca? What the hell are you saying? She never finished her sentence. The window on the other side of the room shattered, and she screamed once, briefly. Then she was gone, dragged several feet through the air and outside in less than a second. I could see in the moonlight blood on the jagged shards of glass left in the window pane. Glass littered the floor, along with more blood. I heard her scream a couple more times, each time further away. I took a deep breath and let it out slowly, feeling calmer and more content than I knew I should. I just sat there quietly, waiting for dawn.
It was another after work night at Kelly's. Clark made an appearance this time, joining me at the bar. Sorry about the other night, Bruce, he said, slapping me on the back when he got there, settling on a little bar stool next to me. He held up a single finger at the bartender who put a glass of beer on the bar in front of him without a word. New guy at BAK has started in on me already. He's not letting the grass grow, let me tell you. Keeping you busy, are they? I asked. Sheesh, demanding bastards, aren't they? They want this, they want that, and they want it now. I've come close to telling them to stuff it more than once. I don't know how you put up with them as long as you did. Thinking about asking Nick to put somebody else on the account, I asked. Not yet, Clark said. I think I can get a handle on their new rep. He seems to know what he's doing, and we speak the same language. I'm just blowing off steam, you know? How are things with you? We never get the chance to hang out anymore. Okay, I guess, I said. Becca and I are... Oh, speak of the devil, there's Clyde. I'll be right back. He got up and left me sitting there going to talk to the new BAK representative who had just come in. It was okay, though, because I had my gin martini to keep me company. Quiet. The silence outside was almost a physical thing, like a big, hulking monster in and of itself, sitting out there daring anyone to bother it. I wasn't about to make a sound. Anything, even a hastily drawn breath, would probably be as loud as a cannon shot. I sat on the floor, back against the wall, shotgun in my lap, as far away from that shattered window and the door as I could get. Of course, there was another window on the wall above me, but it wasn't shattered. It was closed, and I was willing, to protect, willing it to protect me against whatever was out there. It needed to protect me against whatever had taken my wife. Becca was gone. We had been married for eight years. No children. Becca had miscarried during the first year and hadn't gotten pregnant again. It was a hard time for her and for me too. I don't think we'd ever gotten over it. Clark had always had better luck with women than I did. He also had more friends than I did. Meeting people, talking to them, making them feel at ease was always easy for him. He should have gone into politics. He never did. Sure, he had his faults, but who doesn't? He more than made up for them with his virtues. I mean, yeah, he could take things without asking, sometimes returning them, sometimes not. He would get drunk and hit on my girlfriends. But I always remembered that when, he, when I needed him, he'd been there for me when no one else had been. That more than offset the problems. Even if Becca had the image of that race toilet seat came back to my mind. Cable guy. Right. Like that ever happened. Still, Clark and Becca? The idea was ridiculous. Even though Clark had never made it to our little after work get together, things like that happened, right? I knew better than anyone the stresses of that job of dealing with BAK and those other clients. Things have a tendency to come up at the last possible second, even when you're heading out the door. It happens all the time. It was so quiet outside, but I wanted to hear a noise, anything, anything at all, to give me something to focus on besides the turmoil in my mind. I didn't get my wish. The quiet went on for a thousand years, it seemed. When I got to work that fateful day, the door to my office was locked. 
I tried my key, but it wouldn't work. I felt a hand on my shoulder. It was Clark. Nick needs to see you, he said. Okay, I said. I knew right then it was going to be bad, but for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what I'd done. Nick's receptionist told me to go right in. Nick was sitting behind his desk when I opened the door. Come in and close the door, Bruce, he said. I did as he asked, settling into the big, comfortable chair. It was so much bigger and more comfortable than the visitor's chairs in my own office. Nick looked at me a long while, his eyes narrowed almost to slits. He rocked back and forth, holding a pen in front of his chest, toying with it in his fingers. I could hear the antique clock he kept on a shelf against the wall, ticking away. There's a problem, Bruce, he finally said. A big problem with the BAK account. What sort of problem, I asked. And why aren't you talking to Clark about it? He's the exec on that account now. This is from your time handling it, Nick said. There are irregularities. What kind of irregularities? The accounting kind, Nick said. Did you think we weren't going to notice? I'm sorry, Nick. I don't know what you're talking about, I said. Nick snorted, and I realized then that he was really angry. I'd never seen him angry before. It's too late for you to play dumb with me. You're caught. You got greedy your last day handling that account, Bruce, and that's what nailed you. You were embezzling from that account, and when your access was being revoked, you decided to triple your usual take. It was too big to hide. All I can say is thank God we put Clark on that account before you bled it dry. Nick, I still, oh, for God's sake, shut up, Bruce. You're only insulting my intelligence and making yourself look bad. Now, we're not planning to prosecute, but you're fired. We'll ship your personal belongings to your house from your office, but as of now, you are no longer welcome here. Turn in your corporate ID at the security desk and leave the premises. Now. But that last day, I remembered right then turning, seeing that I hadn't logged off of my computer, Clark standing there smiling at me. I remember Clark not showing up for our after-work get-together. Please, Bruce, don't make this worse. Go home. I'm sure you'll turn something up. Plus, you get to keep the money you stole from us. It's a sweet deal, I'd say. There really was nothing else to say. I got up a bit shakily and made my way out of the office. I was in the parking deck getting into my car when Clark slid up behind me in his own new car, a really huge SUV. Hey, Bruce, I heard what happened, he said. Let's meet down at Kelly's for a burger and a beer, okay? You can talk to me about it. Uh, sure, I said, not really knowing why. We sat in a booth, me nursing a beer and a burger, Clark slurping down some oysters on the half shell. I thought over my suspicions about him and then dismissed him as ridiculous. There's no way Clark would submarine me. He just wouldn't do that. The most likely scenario was someone hacked my password and accessed the accounts that way. It happens all the time. At least that's what I kept telling myself. Man, that sucks, Clark said, taking a sip of his own beer after gulping down the other end of mollusk. It came out of nowhere, I stammered. What the hell is going on? Anybody who would accuse you of an embezzling obviously doesn't know you, Clark kept going. 
He gulped down another oyster after dousing it with hot sauce. You've been my best friend since eighth grade, all through college. You looked out for me. You were always there for me. You helped me get this job. Without you, I don't know where I would be, Bruce, and that's a fact. It really pisses me off that someone would treat you like this. I'm thinking of suing, I said. Hmm, Clark muttered, chewing a mollusk while he thought. I don't really know about that. They can terminate anyone for any reason, you know. Plus, they didn't make their accusations public, so you can't accuse them of slander. But they aren't right, I said. I didn't steal anything. Nick thinks I have all this money when I don't. I have no idea what happened to it. Shh, Clark patted my arm. Maybe there's some legal recourse, I don't know. But I feel pretty sure that if you pursue it, Nick will press charges and you'll find yourself arrested. Damn it, I felt like my hands were tied behind my back. You're probably right. I know I am. I think I know Nick pretty well. He's a vengeful little bastard. I think you'll find yourself a new job pretty quickly. You got a good reputation on the street. Lots of people out there know you. Someone will snap you up as soon as they hear that you're available. They're going to want to know why I'm available, I said. I took a bite of my hamburger. It was cold and a little greasy. You, you can tell them that your former boss was a real SOB, Clark just kept going. He's got a reputation too, you know. People who work for our class know what he's like. Hell, I get people telling me all the time that they can't see how I keep working for him. I had lunch with Clyde at BAK just today, and he said, Sorry, I guess that's a sore spot right now. Don't worry about it, I said. You're my mentor, Bruce. Don't you ever forget that. I'll tell anybody who asks. Everything I learned, I learned from you. So I can use you as a reference? Sure thing, buddy. Sure thing. The waitress brought our check, and he grabbed it. I'll take this, he said. After all, I'm the one who's working, right? I heard something moving around outside the cabin. It didn't sound like it was getting closer or even further away. It was just something rustling through the underbrush, casually moving around out there, not worried about being noisy. It went on for some time before my curiosity overcame my fear, and I got up as quietly as I could to take a peek through a corner of the window. At first, I could see nothing at all. I'd never seen darkness so complete before. The moon wasn't even visible now, going down behind a distant mountain. At last, my eyes acclimated, and I saw something move just inside the tree line. I watched it for a long time before it started to take shape, and I could make out details. It was a deer, grazing on something a few feet away. I guess it was a doe. It didn't have horns, and I think this time of year all the bucks have horns. She didn't notice me as she stood there, chewing on something tasty she found growing on the ground just a few feet away. I watched her for some time. I'd never actually seen a deer in person before, and she was the most beautiful, graceful creature I'd ever laid eyes on. Then something slammed against a window right in my face, causing me to fall backwards onto the floor, almost soiling my pants. It was a raccoon, masked face pressed against a window looking inside, holding onto the wall with its paws while it played peeping Tom. It was a cute little bugger, I thought, when my heart finally stopped hammering and my breathing slowed to something approximating normal. The raccoon glanced around quickly and then let go, dropping to the ground. 
I could hear the deer running away through the forest, and I imagined the raccoon was doing the same. I resumed my former position, shotgun held across my lap, deciding not to move until dawn no matter what I heard outside or how curious I became. I think Becca is cheating on me. Clark had agreed to meet me at Kelly's and we sat across from each other in a booth, a beer in front of me, a scotch and soda in front of him, and a big bowl of salted peanuts in the middle of the table between us. Really? Clark asked. He had a handful of nuts almost to his mouth and paused when he said that, looking at me. How sure are you? I just got that feeling, I said. I can't describe it, but she's been acting really squirrely. Plus, there have been other things. Like, he asked, tossing a peanut into his mouth. Little things. The toilet seat being up when she's been the only one in the house all day. The smell of a strange man's cologne. And I found a condom wrapper in the trash. Bruce, I don't think... We don't use condoms, Clark. I heard my voice rising in volume. Maybe I got there some other way. You know, some kids in the street doing it in their car and just tossing a wrapper in a bin outside the house. Because, you know, if they just tossed it on the street, the Nazi neighborhood watch would write down the license plate and report them for littering. Sure, it's entirely possible, except this was in a trash can in the house, I continued. Oh, Clark said, chewing absently. Uh, you have any ideas who it could be? No, my voice was now losing a little control. Nothing concrete. I have my suspicions, but nothing I can really put my finger on. I see, Clark said. His eyes seemed to grow distant then for a while, and I knew he was thinking. What will you do if she is, and you find out who she's been cheating with? I'll kill him, I said, and my voice didn't waver on that note as I stared straight into his eyes. Clark was in the act of eating a peanut, and he choked on it, coughing. Finally, he took a sip of his drink to wash it down. He continued coughing and gasping for a while after that. You okay, I asked, and he just waved me off. Kill him, he gasped. That's crazy, Bruce. Crazy, I heard my voice going up again. What's crazy is her cheating on me after everything I've done for her. After all the indignities I've endured, all the things I've done to put food on our table, and now she's bedding down with some other guy and pretending that nothing's happening. That's what galls me more than anything else, Clark. She's shameless. She looks me right in the eye and lies. If you did find something out, how would you kill the guy? Clark asked. I'm just curious. I bought a gun today, a 9mm Beretta. Of course, I'll have to wait three days before I can pick it up, but that's no big deal to me. I've waited this long. I can wait a couple more days. What do you mean you waited this long? You think this has been going on a while, Clark? Look pale and sweaty, I'm guessing, because of the painful and recent experience with the peanut. I think it's been going on for quite a while, I said. I just have that gut feeling that it's been going on for years, maybe. Look, Clark muttered, leaning forward. I have an idea. Let's get away for a few days. I got the key to a cabin in the hills. Nick's cabin. We can all head up there, do a little fly fishing, sing a few camping songs, get away from it all for a while. What do you say? You, me, Sandy, Becca, all of us, for a couple days. I don't know, Clark. Nick probably won't be happy with me going up there. And I mean me being cooped up with her on a trip like this, then being with her in the cabin, nowhere to go. We, 
you and me will be fishing most of the time, and what Nick doesn't know won't hurt him. Come on, it'll be good. Maybe you can get a better idea of what's going on with her. Observe her up close. It'll help you make some decisions, won't it? Really, you don't want to do anything rash, something that you'll regret for years and years and can't ever undo. I thought about it, eating a couple of peanuts, washing them down with my warming beer. Sure, I finally responded. It'll be like the old days, he said, brightening a bit, like he was looking forward to it. To be honest, I was too. Clark was right. It had been too long since we'd taken a trip together. He held up his fist and I bumped it with mine. You have always been such a good friend to me, Clark, I said, choking back tears. I don't deserve you. I don't know what I'd do without you. I could say the same thing, buddy. He grabbed me, giving me a hug. Then he then coughed and wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. I can say the same thing. I finally worked up the courage to go through my own baggage, finding this little tape recorder I always carry with me. I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you found it too. The battery seems to be fresh. I hope I'm talking loud enough for the mic to pick me up. I can hear something moving around outside. I would call out to see if it's Clark or maybe even Becca, but it's something stopping me. Fear, maybe. Whatever it is, it isn't making much noise. Only the occasional stick breaking or leaves rustling. If I listen very intently, I think I can hear something that sounds like sniffing or snorting. Or maybe that's just my imagination. So I sit here on the floor, the shotgun pointed at the door, cocked and ready. I can hear something just outside, something on the porch, something turning the knob. When that door opens, I'm going to pull the trigger. It's the only way. This thing, whatever it may be, is just too fast for me to do this any other way. Whatever comes through that door is going to get itself shot before I can even decide what or who it is. Whatever is out there will not stand a chance. I hope like hell it's Clark. This is J. Franklin Evans. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories That Suck. If you enjoyed the episode... Don't forget to subscribe.